This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Later on, we will have cool films with Larry Hott. He had some amazing recommendations. I saw one of the films he told us about last week, and I want to tell you how wonderful it was. We'll do that on. We'll do that later on in the show, and then we'll have Vaya con Munoz with Natalia Munoz. First, we have a bit of a fish wrap for you. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap, and I want to start lot in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, of course, but I want to start actually with the New York Times, the Boston Globe. Today, front page of the Times, things we need to talk about. Zelensky is said to plan address to U.S. Congress. IRS allowed Trump to avoid tax audit for two years. Older Americans forego boosters, even as death from COVID rises. But perhaps more important, well, based on the placement, it's the top of the fold, and it is a large color photograph in the New York Times, homecoming brings Argentina to a halt. It is a photograph of millions of people, the little uh, sentence underneath the headline for the photograph, a parade in Buenos Aires to celebrate the country's World Cup victory was cut short as millions, as in Reuters announced five million, millions of fans throng the streets. Millions of fans. We let's, let us turn to our World Cup correspondent, Dan Torres. <laughs> What's your reaction to this, Dan? Uh, I'm not surprised. That's that's how we celebrated in Latin America. Any any World which Cup are, win which, of which you are a native. I, I am. I mean, of the neighboring country, Brazil. So I yes, we we do throw parties like that. The country would stop pretty much, and everybody would go to the streets and celebrate. I want to just read you a very short paragraph here from Reuters about okay. this Argentina party. Right. Ready? With social media footage showing some fans trying to jump onto the team's bus when it passed under the bridge, the scheduled eight-hour journey was cut short due to security fears. The players were transferred from their parade bus and into helicopters. You, <laughs> you see that right there? But that about it shows you how crazy things can get very quickly. Five million people well, it's show hard up to estimate. for a for a, yeah. Well, when you're at that, you just don't size, know. You don't know. But yeah. it, millions and millions of people show up Three, for five. a party. Yeah, yeah. It's well, it, it's been a very long time since Argentina has won. <laughs> yeah, I will just yeah. say that it's it's been a very long time. Thirty and, something years, right? Yeah. It's was it 1986? I want to say I don't remember exactly, but I want to go with that date. Um, it's been a long time. Their team. This, this is you might not know this, and maybe listeners don't know. Is their national team has struggled in world in previous World Cups since that date. Obviously, they haven't won. But they've had their own organizational problems at home in Argentina. The Argentina Football Association that organizes the, the national team, they've, they've hired coaches, they've fired coaches, they've had a lot of disorganization, they've had some economic struggles. The, the country has gone through a lot in the last uh, 20, 30 years, right? Uh, presidents being impeached, thrown out of office. Sounds so kind of chaos. Sounds like familiar so, in for, some ways. Familiars in some ways. You can, you can relate. So to them, I, I, if I had to guess, this is one of those moments that can unite people from different political perspective, different regions. They all can rally around this one thing. We pulled this off. And here's something you might not know, Bill. The national team coach for Argentina, this is his first coaching gig. He has not coached before. So for him to coach this national team, this is kind of like the win. Ted Laszlo of Argentina. <laughs> really? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I actually haven't watched Ted Lasso. I know, but I've heard so much about it. But um, That's yeah, it. it's a pretty amazing story, and I think it brings the country together. So the parties were and for for the for the players' uh, parade to be cut short due to. Uh, security fears, and then have to move them from buses to helicopters shows you the level of fanaticism that that fans would go for. By the way, yes, I was in Amherst when they won. Argentina won on Sunday, and there were even a couple uh, uh, vehicles driving around with the Argentinian flag atop of them, and people yelling from the windows, screaming Argentina and things like that, and honking the horn at, at random people. So even here. In, in the western Massachusetts, there are Argentinians celebrating. Uh, so so explain this, because yeah. you, you, as a long-time yeah. uh, fan yes. of football, yes. as we know it, soccer, um, <laughs> I, I want to go back and ask you, because I never heard this before, that the, the Argentinian coach mm -hmm. uh, 
and I uh, made this reference to Ted Lasso, the 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 uh, fictional uh, television yes. uh, series mm-hmm. uh, about a coach who had not coached <laughs> before, yep. had not yep. not coached soccer football before. Yep. This was his first coaching gift. Yeah. What an amazing story, Isn't that, it? which I had not heard. Yeah. And to start the World Cup with you losing to Saudi Arabia. Of all Of teams. all teams. And not, no no diss to Saudi Arabia, but I don't think many people expected Saudi Arabia to, to be show a, up that first game. To be game. a powerhouse in all this. And, right? and all of this. And they played well. And they beat Argentina. So here's you have a new coach. You start the World Cup and you lose. Ouch. To then, ouch. And then you're all of a sudden having to win. And they do. And then they win in that fashion against France, almost defeated by France, but were able to pull it off all for Lionel Messi. It's, it's, it, it, it really excites, I think, soccer fans everywhere to, to see that journey. Uh, never give up the determination. They put it together. It was beautiful. So I have one final question before we move on with our fish wrap, yes. uh, Dan Torres, and it's this. Do you think that this, uh, in the, the way in which the World Cup has engaged the United States, which seems to me to be different than in years past, whether this is a precursor to soccer becoming a bigger sport in the United States? Yeah, so we had the World Cup in 1994 here in the United States, and people said the same thing, that in 94 it was really going to change soccer culture. I think what's changed soccer culture in America is major league soccer, but I think even bigger than that, uh, at least for me... Didn't Trump mess up an entire... uh, Soccer team? I don't know. Did he? I, I, I don't think, think it was I, a soccer team. Did he? I don't think he would ever get involved in soccer. But well, but if I can add that the British Soccer League, the Premier he did, League. He did mess up a football did? team. He messed up a football team. Yeah. yeah, not a soccer team. But the British a Premier League, Bill, um, it's what it's called, the Premier League, uh, are the British teams that I watch on the weekends. They're really really good soccer, Bill. It's To me, it's the best soccer in the world. It's the only soccer I watch. Um and uh, I think that's changing um, American culture. I think a lot of young people can can start watching different teams in England, um, like Liverpool, who uh, are owned by the, the Red Sox owners. Um, so I, I think there is a cultural shift happening right now in soccer. It's Major League Soccer and it's Premier League Soccer, um, those two leagues. Uh, have really changed the culture. Plus, the U.S. will be hosting, well, one of three countries hosting the World Cup. So, yeah, I, I do think the, there's a cultural shift among younger people getting into soccer in America because of Major League Soccer and the Premier League Soccer from Britain. It's the British invasion. And it's working out really well, I think. In defense of my, well, not totally accurate statement about Trump and soccer, he did try to buy a soccer team. Did he? It didn't work. Wow. And then he blasted the uh, Olympic, the women's Olympic soccer team, uh, because they lost. He said the United States women's team lost because they were too woke. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they are have won many World he Cup also, champions. So, so yeah. whatever you can say about them, they are winners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Trump called the U.S. women's soccer team leftist maniacs. <laughs> okay, for equal for equal pay, right? Yeah. Okay. Which which brings me to the next story I'd like to yes. share with our listeners and comment on which is the referral of the January 6th committee of four very serious criminal charges against Trump to the Justice Department. Also, the Trump tax returns are going to be released. Uh, The committee, uh, Ways and Means Committee, headed by Representative Richie Neal, voted to do that yesterday. Mm -hmm. So two very significant matters with regard to Trump, and actually a third, which Mm -hmm. is the uh, uh, significant... Uh, press that is media attention now being given to Republicans who are no longer following Trump and supporting Trump and the lack of any support for Trump coming from even even from Kevin McCarthy, who absolutely needs Trump. Yeah. Uh, if he wants to be, which he does, Speaker of the he House. Does. So uh, let's spend a minute on what the IRS media, the coverage of the IRS has been, which is that the IRS, which has a legal mandate to audit the tax returns of the president, Mm -hmm. didn't do it for Trump. I wonder who could have been involved. Let us speculate here. (laughs) So it it didn't happen. What does that mean, Bill? So the audit 
Well, it happened one of the years. Is that right? I, I think it. It didn't I, happen it, any of the it years. Didn't happen the first couple of years. Is that violate a law or yeah, is that a norm? No, it's a law. It, it violates a law. I, mean, okay. I don't think it's a law that anyone goes to jail for. Right. Um, but uh, uh, you know how the IRS is supposed to be apolitical sure. and not target people uh, because of political that, reasons. That must have gone down through the Treasury Department, right? That must have been the influence. He must have brought in his I'm Treasury sure, Secretary. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure that Trump Mnuchin. as president had a pretty good idea who to get in touch with, who could get in touch with, who that he could not put his so his fingerprints wouldn't be there to make sure that his returns weren't audited this is going to be fascinating because at a minimum it's going to show that trump paid almost no taxes which he bragged about yeah but when someone claims to be i have 10 billion dollars he doesn't but he says i have 10 billion dollars and i don't have to pay any taxes and now his supporters will say great that just shows how Mm -hmm. smart he is but i think that that sliver of people uh in the political middle in the united states going to be outraged. Didn't Al Capone go to jail for, for tax evasion? He did. He did. Um, That's what they could get him on. I mean, he did other Well, there's a fine crazy. there's a fine line between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Ah. Uh, and I'm not sure what he did is criminal. Right. But it may be certainly a misstatement mm. of the losses. What he did was, as we can piece this together, is he claimed hundreds of millions of dollars of losses in one year. Mm-hmm. And then he carried those losses forward, mm-hmm. took those deductions of those losses against his income for the next eight years or a decade, and then paid no taxes because he had these losses, which may only be paper losses and not real losses. Losses. And that's how he avoided taxes, whether it's criminal or not. That's a different story. But the fact that – and there's also going to be all this uh, – a pra- a controversy over his appraisal of properties and yeah. whether he lied and all that. Because so. he inflated them when he needed loans and then deflated them when he was paying, paying taxes. taxes. Yeah, Absolutely. It sounds like a great system. Yeah, really. You do that with your real estate properties? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on air? <laughs> Did I just get fired? <laughs> Dan Torres. <laughs> Dan. Wow, this was a short trip here to the building the show. It didn't last a week and a half. <laughs> All right. One more thing on the, ref- on, on on, the referrals. On the yes. referral, which is that uh, I, I think I'm one of the few people who don't see the referral as really all that significant. Most mm. people do because it is the first time that it has happened. Now I'm intrigued, Bill. Tell me more. Well, my view is the Justice Department is going to do what the Justice Department will decide. And it's not going to really be influenced by the politics of having gotten a referral. The four charges referred by the January 6th committee, no surprise to the Justice Department. Mm. And they have been having, they've had an independent investigation going Mm -hmm. on. Uh, They will have obviously a lot of material from the January 6th committee, but uh, whether it's actually going to make a difference in what Merrick Garland decides to do, whether he will or won't prosecute Trump, I think it's not that significant. I think that the optics of it Mm -hmm. are important. But again, the Republicans will say, it's a witch hunt. It's a scam. There were only Democrats on it. Well, only Democrats right. on it because the Republicans didn't want to p- come and participate. And the only, the Republican who they thought should be on the committee is a total nutcase, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, and, 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 was she the one? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was somebody one, else. One I thought the, it was one Jordan. Of two, okay. One of the two nomine, nominees. Um, and I, they, and I, they I, said, actually, this is a serious, investi- serious investigation. This is not... Th- a, I have a legal question for you. Do does the recommendation uh, to prosecute go from the committee to the Justice Department? Do they hand that off to the special prosecutor, or did they handle it on their own? How does that work? The referral goes from the committee to the Justice Department. What the Justice Department does with it is up to the Justice Department, and I assume it's going to be put in the hands of the special counsel who is overseeing the investigation and potential prosecution of Trump. Okay. I also disagree. There was a piece with uh, uh, Brett uh, Stevens and Gail Collins in the Times, one of those uh, chatting back and forth that are pretty interesting, a mm. serious conservative and a, and a serious progressive. Sure. Um, and they agreed on something, a number of things mm. yesterday, one of which was Donald Trump was not going to jail. That I disagree with. I think Donald Trump very well may go to jail. Wow. Something we'll discuss in coming shows. We'll be right back. Cool Films with Larry Hott is coming up. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Season's greetings. I'm Thomas Macheco, the President and CEO of Greenfield Savings Bank. And I'm Shonda Richardson, the Senior Vice President and Operations Officer. On behalf of all of us at GSB, we want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season and a happy new year. We also want to thank all of our customers for choosing to bank locally with GSB and GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services. And we want to thank all of our employees for their efforts on behalf of the bank this year. The holiday season is such a wonderful time of the year with holiday decorations, lights, and spending time with ones we love. And we encourage everyone to shop locally as much as possible and support our local businesses and restaurants. Again, from all of us at Greenfield Savings Bank, happy Happy holidays holidays and and happy Happy new New year. year. Greenfield Savings Bank, greenfieldsavings.com, with offices and ATMs throughout Franklin and Hampshire counties. Member FDIC, member DIF, an equal housing lender. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Orthopedic injuries don't just happen to athletes. Muscle and ligament tears can happen from a golf game, tennis match, or even shoveling snow. I'm Dr. Connor Ziegler, sports medicine and board-certified orthopedic surgeon with New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Our surgical team here in Western Mass is ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury from shoulders to elbows, wrists, hands, hips, knees, ankles, and everything in between, including physical therapy and regenerative medicine, such as orthopedic laser treatment and PRP. Hey, Pat. Who's on the sidelines this week? Wide receiver Devontae Parker is. He sat out Sunday's loss to the Raiders due to a concussion. His return for this Saturday against Cincinnati is questionable. Running back Damian Harris missed his third straight game Sunday and is questionable to return for this week. Cornerback Jalen Mills continues to rehab a groin injury and is day-to-day. And offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn has a foot injury and is questionable for this week. So if you're looking for the best bona fide care around, visit neortho.com to schedule an appointment. With locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, our team will get you back in the game. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Cool Films with Emmy Award-winning, Florence-based Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Larry Hott. Larry is going to share with us some more recommendations this week. Before you do, I want to tell you that uh, at our house, we take Larry Hott's recommendations and we write them on the blackboard, and then we erase them after we see them. And you recommended last week three films. You said they were all terrific. Larry does not recommend every film he talks about. Uh-oh, I think I have a feeling I'm going <laughs> to... My grading system is going to be questioned here. No. The Fablemans? What a fabulous film. The fabulous Fablemans. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing, wonderful film available on all sorts of platforms. I have one question for you before you get to this week's yeah. uh, reviews. I'd like to know how and what it is in the filming, in the photography, uh, that makes it look so much like the 1950s, early 1960s. It's almost like watching Kodakar film, and there's something that happens there, and I don't know what it is. The thing about about Spielberg is this this word Spielbergian, and what is Spielbergian? It usually refers to this idea of the idolized suburbs, and this is a film entirely about suburbs. So it's very Spielbergian, and it's a Spielberg film, right? But it's, well, I'll tell you the secret, Bill, it's filters. <laughs> that's that's, it's just, a that's certain, it. it's, just, it's just a certain filter they put on the camera and makes it look like, like 1950s America. I'm sorry, it's very simple. It's it, it, Yeah, but what is it that it, how do you, why is that so evocative? Why is this change you know, of the color? It, it, but it, actually, it is. Actually, people talk about this. There's certain glows for certain years. We have a Western color. 
You know, we have a film noir, 50s, 40s and 50s color. And this is, you know, the 1960s color. Seriously, uh, filmmakers sit down and say, okay, what's the color palette for this decade? And Spielberg knows what to do. There's wow. it. All the secret's out. I'm sorry. That's popped, popped your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did, but it is a wonderful film. So thank you for that recommendation. What do you have for us this week, Larry? Oh, I have something really heavy and also really wonderful. Wonderful in terms of the filmmaking. The story is really horrific. Let me just preface this by saying I've been very involved with the Movement Voter Project, as you might know, supports grassroots organizations. And when I do my pitch, frequently I say, listen, I was raised on a steady diet of World War II movies and Holocaust stories. And we are now fighting fascism in this country, authoritarianism. My relatives, people I know, they went into the forest. They were partisans during World War II. I always imagined when I was a little kid, if the Nazis ever came, I would pick up a little gun, I'd go out in the woods and fight them. This is you know, the mentality of a naive little child. I had no idea what it was to be a partisan, what to really fight in the woods for was. Well, now there's a film that tells you what that was like. It's by Julia Mintz, who is a local filmmaker of some renown, very experienced. She's put years and years and years into a film appropriately called Four Winters. And what it's about is the partisans, about 25,000 Jews, joined forces all over Eastern Europe to fight the Nazis and their collaborators. They escaped from the ghettos. They went into the woods, sometimes with nothing at all barely their clothes, after having witnessed their families being murdered, witnessed, I mean, in front of them. And then they go into the woods and they survive for four winters. So I think if we hear a clip from this film, you'll get a sense of what it's like. I managed to escape with my camarade into the woods. We were part of a network of sabotage acts. There were groups living in hundreds of miles of wild territory. The pillow was the rifle, the walls were the trees, and the sky was the roof. I have to behave not as a woman. I have to behave as a soldier. When your life is depending on it, you learn everything quickly. Derail a train. It's beautiful to see it, to be part of it. The braveness, the courage, it grows from you, yes? We wanted to see Hitler with the Nazis defeated and stay alive. Four years in the woods, that's four winters. So you could imagine the images that go with those stories, but where did those images come from? Well, one of these interviewees, there are eight people who survived that are still alive, they're in their late 80s, early 90s now, because they were all teenagers at the time. One of these women, Faye Shulman, was a professional photographer at the age of 16. She was actually brought in by the Nazis to take pictures, to take portraits of the leaders, and they came into these cities in Poland. She escapes from the ghetto with her camera and her chemicals, and she documents the entire experience. And the heart of the film are her photographs and her telling the stories, and then showing Is the this pictures. in Poland? This is in Poland, all, all, over, all over Eastern Europe, because they spread out over Eastern Europe. One of the stories that really sticks with me is this woman who tells a story about having gone to the prom, the equivalent of the prom, her high school boyfriend, who's not Jewish, and then he turns on her and turns in her family and just says, she says, why are you doing it? He says, because you're Jews. Right? This is what's basically her boyfriend Right. Story after story, people who had never picked up a gun before, they had to go and attack villages. They had to go threaten peasants to get their guns so they could then attack the Nazis, kill them, and take their guns and build up an ammunition supply. So I'm thinking, my fantasies as a little kid, would I do this? I'm watching this film, and I'm thinking, I don't think I could have survived. And then here's the kicker. They have footage German footage of what they did to the partisans when they were caught. Marched them through town with signs on them saying, I'm a traitor, I'm a partisan. And then they would be tortured, drawn and quartered the old-fashioned way, hanged in the village square. 
right? And the other partisans of Woods know this, and they continue. There are stories told about what happens when you're shot, when you're wounded, how they would get medical help, how would they treat each other. And then there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat in the woods for four years. It's called four winters, right? They're actually eating bark, right? I mean, one of the, I think for me, was a compelling story was they, one of the, the only meat they could get is they would capture pigs from the farms around them. But these are Jews. Most of them had been grown up kosher, right? And so there's this conflict in there. Talking about it, well, of course, we're going to survive, but some people wouldn't, right? Some people wouldn't. They would have to go like, steal a chicken for certain people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're busy, we're busy uh, trying to deal with dietary laws and Hitler. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. So this is the kind of film, I think now, in America, when we are looking at right-wing militias all around us, and we are basically the unarmed liberals, right? And we're thinking, okay, we're pacifists. We don't want to fight. We don't want guns. And then you look at who is, has the guns, and you watch this film, and you say, oh, what are we going to do? You know, it, it, it brings up all kinds of questions. You know, think about, okay, Gandhi and uh, civil disobedience um, and nonviolence. Think about Gandhi, what he wrote about. It was a tactic or, st or a strategy, I guess, you know, say, this is all we can, do, we can do because we cannot overwhelm the armies with might. We can overwhelm them with civil disobedience. Uh, the the nonviolent violent, um, coordinating committee in the United States, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, it's like, well, okay, we don't have the guns. But that was not the only philosophy that there was at the time. And still is to this day. The Black Panthers come out of the philosophy of, okay, Guns, we have uh, Second Amendment in this country, we have the right to guns. And you saw the, the conniptions that Reagan went through in the, in the 60s when he saw the Black Panthers marching through the streets with guns. So I watched this film about the partisans and I think, <coughs> okay, what is our responsibility here? How do we protect ourselves? And here, these poor Jews, educated, right, lower middle class, middle class, but not not a military society, have to learn overnight how to defend themselves. And it got to the point where the Germans were so afraid that they would not go into the woods because the partisans were so efficient. Why is that group called the partisans? Well, partisan, it's just, it's just literally partisan. is a partisan to something. You know, so they are the ones that gather together for a cause. That's just what that, what that word... But the word stuck is the yes, description yeah, of yeah. The, the... Well, we still have partisans. Oh, I mean, sure. Partisans in Ukraine are, are the ones who are behind the, behind the Russian lines, right? And in fact, this is the area where it's happening. It's no, it's, it's no coincidence. This is the same area. Uh, maybe it's ironic that the Russians are now... Who, the Russians save the partisans. The Russians come in. They're the ones who, who start arming them and coordinate with them. But now look at what the Russians are doing. And of course, they perverted it in Ukraine by saying that they're, they're coming into Ukraine to save Ukraine from the Nazis. The irony of Zelensky, whose parents are Holocaust survivors, <laughs> you know, claiming that he is he's the leader of the Nazis <laughs> of Ukraine, makes no sense. But I just want to go back to this film for a second. Uh, Julia Mintz has done a wonderful job. Uh, local uh, editor Tricia Ritty was her story, story editor. This is somebody who comes in and helps the editors pull together the story. Um, these interviews are so compelling. Uh, and you get the sense that these people, even if they've been telling these stories for years and years, it's very, very fresh in their minds. They remember the details of how to wire bombs, the details of how to, how to load a rifle, the details of, of how to, to skin an animal in the woods, how to survive. And I just kept asking myself the question, I could have done it, for, could I do that for a day, <laughs> let alone for four years. So it's called Four Winters. It is in theatrical release right now. It is one Which gazillion. Means, means, it means it's going in theaters. It, I'm hoping it'll be at the Amherst Cinema. Um, the trailer is online. There's a webpage for it. You can read up on it and see the pictures. Um, it is really well done. It's an hour and a half movie. I was not bored for a second. So Four Winters by Julia Mintz, a local filmmaker, and she has agreed to come on the show. Um, Terrific. And she'll be, she'll be back. Um, I told her I would be talking about it today, and we'll have her back. Um, she wants to wait to find out when we're going to have a local screening, and that would be the appropriate time to have her on the show. Can't wait. We'll be back with more Cool Films with Larry Hot right after this. 
Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Amherst held their State of the Town event Monday night. Town manager Paul Bockelman says the town is strong and resilient, citing many projects that have come to fruition, including the solar arrays on the landfill this fall, the opening of the dog park over the summer, and the addition to the Jones Library, which is underway. Bockelman also cited two new departments that have been created, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as the new Crest Department. West Springfield police investigating after a car versus pedestrian crash last night. The accident happened near the intersection of Piper Road and Monastery Avenue. The pedestrian was taken to a local hospital with serious injuries. Piper Road from Hale Street to West Springfield High School was closed last night while crews investigated the crash. Tonight, the Greenfield City Council will be voting on two mayoral appointments to the Public Safety Commission. One appointee is David Lenoy, who has over 30 years of professional experience in the Massachusetts County Correctional System, in related higher education, and in various harm reduction initiatives. The other appointment to the commission is David Mascaratolo, who has worked in the security industry for over 40 years and was photographed with the Defund City Council Support Our Police sign in May after the council voted on budget cuts to the police department. Going into tonight's meeting, the Appointments and Ordinances Committee is giving a positive unanimous recommendation for the appointment of Lenoy, and the committee unanimously abstained from voting on the recommendation of Moscaratolo. Mostly sunny today, a high of 34 to 38. Clouds increase tonight. Evening temperatures in the 30s and 20s, an overnight low of 14 to 20. Mostly cloudy tomorrow. Watch out for some rain and snow showers mid to late afternoon. A light wintry mix changes to all rain Thursday night. And then for Friday, it's rain and wind with a high in the low to mid 50s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El Partido Republicano apoyó rápida y enérgicamente a Donald Trump en las horas posteriores a que los agentes federales incautaran documentos clasificados de su propiedad en Florida este verano. Cuatro meses después, ese sentido de intensidad y urgencia había desaparecido después de que el Comité de la Cámara de Representantes votara el 6 de enero para recomendar que el Departamento de Justicia presentara cargos penales en su contra. Los principales republicanos evitaron en gran medida la referencia criminal histórica el lunes, mientras que otros presionaron para opinar y ofrecieron defensas silenciadas o ninguna. El líder republicano del Senado, Mitch McConnell, pidió una explicación inmediata y completa después de que el FBI ejecutara la orden de registro de agosto en Mar-a-Lago. El lunes dijo a los periodistas que solo tenía una observación inmediata sobre la referencia penal. Toda la nación sabe quién es el responsable de ese día. Las respuestas divergentes son una señal de lo rápido que ha cambiado el panorama político para Trump, ya que enfrenta una nueva amenaza legal y presenta una tercera candidatura a la presidencia. Es un cambio marcado para un partido que se ha definido sobre todo por su lealtad incondicional a Trump bajo cualquier circunstancia durante los últimos seis años. Siempre desafiante, Trump predijo que la referencia criminal finalmente lo ayudaría. Ya debilitado, Trump también se prepara para la posible publicación de sus declaraciones de impuestos que ha trabajado durante años para mantener fuera de la vista del público. El Comité de Medios y Arbitrios de la Cámara de Representantes tenía previsto considerar este martes la publicación de seis años de impuestos para Trump, así como los relacionados con sus negocios. Aunque no quedó claro de inmediato cuándo los documentos podrían estar disponibles para el público. Sin embargo, la mayor responsabilidad de Trump de cara a las próximas elecciones presidenciales puede tener poco que ver con sus desafíos legales. Los republicanos están cada vez más preocupados por su capacidad para ganar. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Larry Hott. This is Cool Films with Larry Hott. You have another film to review for us. Larry. Yes, I have a question for you. Does the name Ben Crump mean, a, Crump mean anything to you? It's meaningful. I can't tell you ben why. Ben Crump. Okay. It's why. Have you heard of George Floyd? Yes. Have you heard of Brianna Teller? Yes. Have you heard of Trayvon Martin? Boy, this is a depressing conversation. Yeah. You know? Who do you think represented the families? Oh. Benjamin Crump. Really? The black lawyer. Oh, oh this okay. is This film is called Civil. It's on Netflix. It's a 
biopic, I guess, also called a uh, cinema verite, a fly-on-the-wall portrait of this civil attorney. He doesn't do any criminal war. You could you could say it is, uh, you know, what's the injury? What's the, uh, the personal injury personal lawyer? Personal injury lawyer, a fairly big firm. Well, what is unusual is there's not a lot of all-black firms in the South that take on multi-million-dollar cases, civil rights cases against the police departments and have been doing it for decades. And Benjamin Crump is the bete noir of the right for this. This film follows his life. And it is a lively, funny, warm portrait of a dedicated man. It reminded me a lot of Brian Stevenson and Just Mercy, who does the death penalty cases. Somebody who has dedicated his life, but he takes a lot from people because he makes money. These are the George Floyd settlement, $27 million. And did he take the traditional one-third? I, I didn't ask him. Uh, <laughs> we're not that close. <laughs> but that's implied because there's an amazing scene in the middle of the film where they, these Fox News clips accusing him of only being in for the money. For the money, yeah. And you know, right. you know that they would never say that about a white lawyer. Yeah, and we could point out, in addition, that these cases were enormously hard to win for decades. Yeah. Juries in the South, mostly white juries, were yeah. not about to give awards or awards for, not, right. not to mention large awards, to uh, black plaintiffs who claim to have been... Uh, exactly. Exactly. Discriminated against. And he knows that history. He knows it well. He's lived it. Um, let's hear a clip from this film, One Minute Trailer. And I'm recommending this film, Strung. I was not bored for a second. And Fly on the Wall films are hard to watch sometimes, but this one is great. Let's hear the clip. My cousin was just murdered by a Minneapolis police officer. His name is George Perry Floyd. A familiar name is representing the family. Renowned civil rights attorney, Ben Crump. America is a capitalistic society. The one thing that America understands is money. If you can make them pay higher values, they will stop killing black people. It would be an impediment. Mama, we out here on John's farm because we fighting for the black farmers. Were you taught how to use the products from my Santos? No. People seek me out because they want somebody they feel they can trust. It's not just fighting racism and discrimination in these police shooting cases. It's fighting racism and discrimination wherever it rears its ugly head. You got to try to not just be a spectator on the sideline. Get into the arena and do so. I have been given influence for a reason. And shame on me if I don't use that influence. Shame on me if I don't use that influence. This man is so powerful and charismatic. But what's wonderful about this film is you really get to know his family. He has got the cutest daughter I have ever seen. <laughs> and the film goes over a couple of years period. There is a scene where... She's FaceTiming with him, and she's showing him his, her new dog. And her mom, who's a doctor, shaking her head and, and saying, I, I, I just gave in. I just gave in because you're away so much. She had to have something. And, and he's saying to her, are you going to walk that dog? Are you going to walk that dog? Because I come home, and I have to walk that dog. You know, it, it really humanizes him. And wherever he is, wherever he is, he calls his mother. And she says, you wouldn't believe it, Ma. Somebody here is from our hometown, from our hometown, Lumberton, North Carolina. Somebody here is from our hometown. She's all glory be. <laughs> and it is just so sweet. There are, there are film clips from this his is, fraternity. This is really uh, distinguished, important, and... Uh, uh, He's an incredibly competent, competent lawyer. lawyer. Calling mom every day. Calling to mom every <laughs> single day. Wow. There are clips from his fraternity time in college. I'm sure it's an HBC, historically black college or university, because everybody in, the, in these clips are black, where they do these amazing dance routines. So there's Ben Crump, great lawyer, and there's these clips of him in his fraternity, just in these coordinated dance routines. He's a fantastic dancer, right? So, he, the, and I'll tell you one other, one other great thing about this film 
he has a bodyguard and a private investigator whose name is Silky Slim. Now, you cannot make this stuff up. And he's a former Crips member. He's an, he's an ex-felon, right? And it's his bodyguard. Why does he have to have a bodyguard? Because he gets death threats every day. Just walking through a town to get to the courthouse. You know, he's walking around, checking his back. So I'm highly recommending this film called Civil on Netflix about Ben Crump. He's a, a hero. He's a hero to, hero to me now. And I don't think we'd be getting these settlements and we don't get any attention paid. And one last thing about this film. It's as much about the families of the victims as it is about the attorney. Larry Hott, this has been Cool Films with Larry Hott. I want to continue this conversation. I want to hear more about this film. We'll do that next week. Thank okay. you, Larry. All right. Bye, Dan. Bye, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. Champagne, sparkling wine, cava, prosecco. If it's bubbly, it's really good. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The three main grapes of champagne, if correct me if I'm wrong, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, although there are a bunch of other ones that nobody really ever uses <laughs> hardly at all. That is 100% correct. A lot of the time they're made with Pinot Noir, which is a red grape, even though it doesn't look very red. Right. Juice is basically the same color, just like we are on the inside. Oh, I like that. No. Hold the cork, turn the bottle. Don't yes. hold the bottle, try to, to wiggle that cork out. Cava is a great value because they make it just the same way that they make champagne. The value's there. And it's from Spain. This is also a way to make something a special occasion, not just for a special occasion. There's something about champagne and sparkling wine in general that gives you that lift. It's like a fizzy lifting drink. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits, State Street, Northampton. In this the season of thanks and giving, United Way of Franklin and Hampshire Region wants to remind you to support the organizations and people who are doing the hard work of making our community a better place. Please consider supporting a local nonprofit with a tax-deductible gift this December. If you're not sure how to help, go to uw-fh.org to find a list of United Way vetted partner agencies. The United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire Region asks you to help make the Valley a happier, healthier, and more equitable place for everyone. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5989. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Okay, we have Viacom Munoz with Natalia Munoz. Natalia, there is a lot going on in the on the island of Puerto Rico, and of enormous import to the uh, members of the community here. Tell us what's going on, and then we're going to pose the question to you: What do you want to have happen? Okay. Last week, the the house. <laughs> A, uh, passed a, with a, with a, like, about a forty point, este, major, not a forty point, a 40, uh, 40 vote lead, um, a measure that would be binding. So, este, the the issue is, Puerto Ricans on the island 
would choose, do they want statehood? Do they want the current status or do they want independence? That's sort of, that's the simplification of everything. And where it would be and binding. this was the House of Representatives. This is the House of Representatives. <clears throat> and where it would be binding if it gets passed in the U.S. Senate and everybody is saying it's not going to because they got too much to do before this, the, this term is over. The, Which means they'd have to go back. The House would have to pass again, yeah. and, the, and the Republicans will right. never do that. Exactly, because it's democratic. Yeah, and this if they voted for statehood, keeps falling. All right, I just want to if they put in a note for the our overlords to get us a better microphone. Okay, so we're, if the Senate were to take this up, thank you, Larry Hutt. If the Senate was going to take this up, uh, then it would be binding, and whatever people on the island voted for, the U.S. Congress would have to accept. Now, we've had referendums before or plebiscites. Uh, we've had about five before, and they're never binding. It never means anything. It just means a lot of waste of millions and millions and millions of dollars. If the, 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 uh, there are people who want statehood for Puerto Rico in the House. So let me just make sure I understand. The United States House of Representatives votes to have this, this vote in, in Puerto Rico by those on the island to vote either for statehood, for the present Commonwealth status, or for independence. Okay. Everybody right? with me. We got Is this that? Mans mansplaining? Is that right? I'm, I'm asking. I, I just want to make yes, sure no, I understand I it. You're my okay. brother. Okay. And it's not going to go anywhere except it gets people very excited on the island. Because it's, oh, great, now we'll finally get, you know, whether it's independence or statehood, or we'll finally resolve, no, we'll keep the current status. And each status, except statehood, has its merits. Um, the statehood status, in my view, doesn't have any merits because the way that it's presented, it's about, oh, if you're on welfare, you'll get more benefits. And so you won't be treated as a second-class citizen. The, the, the Medicare that people in the United States receive you'll get the same amount in Puerto Rico. Uh, the same for Medicare. <laughs> Is that <laughs> Larry? <laughs> Larry needs Larry. his potato chip. <laughs> we'll talk about pulling back the curtain and letting the listeners know what's going on in the studio. The sound you hear is filmmaker Larry Hot opening his potato chip. I'm taking out a lozenge so I won't cough in the middle of a live oh, show. Oh, sure. Better. Oh, this sure. Yes. I don't eat potato chips. This was better than you coughing, yes. I'm going to cough to show you. And <laughs> there we go. Este, and even though it's not going to go anywhere, the fact that this is the first time the Congress has said, a bill in Congress has said this will be binding, that is an important step forward. The problem is, as you pointed out, uh, Bill, is that in the next session, it's going to be controlled by Republicans, and Republicans have no interest in bringing Puerto Rico in for anything, for no discussion. Este, they are anti-statehood because they believe that if Puerto Rico were to become a state, the five representatives from Puerto Rico would be Democrats. Now, that is not necessarily true, but that's the... Well, but in the, the, but in the, in the presidential election, in fact, uh, Puerto Ricans uh, historically vote Democratic that's in right. very large numbers. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's just a waste of time. I mean, it's almost like I feel embarrassed. I'm wasting airtime on this, but it did happen. So why, we wait need a second, to acknowledge stop, it. Stop there. Why can't the Senate take it up this week, vote for it, get it to Biden's desk, have him sign it, and off we go? Uh, Chuck Schumacher doesn't want to do it. Chuck, Chuck uh, Schumer, perdóname, not Schumacher. Chuck, Chuck Schumer knows exactly how controversial this bill is and how it would, if it passed the Senate, you'd see 5 million Puerto Ricans here in the United States fighting for us to be able to vote as well. And if we were allowed to vote, a majority would vote for independence. Because what happens with Puerto Ricans who move to the United States is that we get the United States experience and we change our view. We don't want statehood anymore. We want independence. Because we live what it's like to be Puerto Rican in the United States. Well, tell me this. Why does that, why? why? What is, what, I mean, I understand that there are a lot of downsides to independence, including that all of these federal uh, programs would come to an end with Puerto Rico, right, with we, Puerto Rico as an independent country. Yes, but we generate, we gener you know, we pay a lot in taxes to the United States, and we generate a lot of money on our own. The problem with this is that for decades now, especially the pro-statehood party, has been corrupt. And, you know, I've said this before, 40, you know, aides and secretaries, cabinet secretaries, went to prison in the 90s because the pro-statehood governor at the time, Led a the most well, the most corrupt 
administration in the history of Puerto Rico, and it's been corrupt pretty much ever since, with a couple of exceptions. So millions and millions and millions are stolen. So the, the, you're saying that the Puerto Ricans who live on the mainland oppose statehood and would vote for independence, and the fact that they can't vote means they're opposed to this referendum as it's structured? Yes, because we're, 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 we are not part of the, the vote. But as a, as a final note, este, this is not the mainland for Puerto Rico. This is the United States. This is the, the, the empire that este, eh, eh, se dice? came to our shores and uh, what do you call that when our military ends up on your shores? An invasion. An invasion, yes. Yeah. And um, that's why, no, 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 this is the United States. But Puerto Ricans living in the United, in the United States mm -hmm. are citizens of the United States and can vote where they live. So are right. Puerto Ricans on the island, we're citizens Right, so you well. are now, what would happen if Puerto Rico becomes independent? Would they have dual citizenship? Well, that's a really good question. I don't know, that would all have to be worked out. But it wouldn't be not. It wouldn't be anything that happens right. from one year to the and next. And I have another question for you. Probably be a twenty, thirty-year transition. What if? What if uh, there was statehood? Does that mean just because there was corruption in the past, there would be corruption in the present? You would be sacrificing without a statehood. We're losing the possibility of two senators and five representatives who would help the balance in the in the House and the uh, and the Senate. And I want to throw one other thing in there. What about DC statehood? How is that connected to this? Because those two things are connected. Well, Guam, DC, and Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. The, there are factions in each one of those uh, places that want statehood for Puerto Rico. And there are also factions that want to remain separate. Mm -hmm. And este, when you say, oh, you know, that's what you're talking about strategy, that if Puerto Rico became a state, there'd be more Democrats in the House and in the Senate. And that would help the United States as a whole to have more Democrats in the Congress. I'm not so sure that that would happen, and to me, that's not a reason to vote for statehood. And the fact that we can't vote for president, even though we're citizens, well, that's the way it was, that was the formula that was created for Guam este, and for Puerto Rico. It doesn't make sense, but that's what happened. If anything, we should tinker with that and be able to vote for president since the president's decisions mm. absolutely affect us. And what so is, does what the, is the state of island nations in the Caribbean that are independent? Oh, you know, that'll have to be for next week. So everybody, hang on by the seat of your pants. Hang on tight, and we'll, we'll note that the last time we had admission of two states, Hawaii and Alaska, it was because Hawaii is overwhelmingly Democratic, and Alaska had been and was expected to remain overwhelmingly Republican, which is why you got those two states at approximately the same time. And that join. is why, as Time magazine said way back when, Hawaii went, but Puerto Rico will not go. We will mm. not become a state. Okay. It's not, my, it's not my desired type of thing speaking. It's just a fact. Next time, Factoid. potato chips for everyone. Thank you. Natalia Munoz, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Viacom Munoz on the Larry Hot Show. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Larry. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Daniel. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food. En el Northampton Survival Center, creemos que nadie debería elegir entre pagar sus cuentas o comprar alimentos. We supply free groceries for people in 18 Hampshire County communities in a safe outdoor distribution. Proveemos comestibles gratis a personas en 18 comunidades del condado de Hampshire en una distribución segura y al aire libre. For information about grocery pickup or delivery, call 413 6564 or visit northamptonsurvival.org. Para información sobre recogida o entrega de comestibles, llame al 413-586-6564 o visítenos en northamptonsurvival.org. If the challenges of the past year have left you needing Live help, we are news here and for you. talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.